This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton to adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Part 2, Chapter 13, The Ice Bank, 20,000 Leagues Under the Seas, by Jules Verne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Nautilus resumed its unruffled southbound heading. It went along the 50th meridian with considerable speed. Would it go to the pole? I don't think so, because every previous attempt to reach this spot on the globe had failed. Besides, the season was already quite advanced, since March 13th on Antarctic shores corresponds with September 13th in the northernmost regions, which marks the beginning of the equinoctial period. On March 14th, at latitude 55 degrees, I spotted floating ice, plain pale bits of rubble 20 to 25 feet long, which formed reefs over which the sea burst into foam. The Nautilus stayed on the surface of the ocean. Having fished in the Arctic seas, Ned Land was already familiar with the sight of icebergs. Conseil and I were marveling at them for the first time. In the sky, toward the southern horizon, there stretched a dazzling white band. English whalers had given this the name Ice Blink. No matter how heavy the clouds may be, they can't obscure this phenomenon. It announces the presence of a pack or shoal of ice. Indeed, larger blocks of ice soon appeared, their brilliance varying at the whim of the mists. Some of these masses displayed green veins, as if scrawled with undulating lines of copper sulfate. Others looked like enormous amethysts, letting the light penetrate their insides. The latter reflected the sun's rays from the thousand facets of their crystals. The former, tinted with a bright limestone sheen, would have supplied enough building material to make a whole marble town. The farther down south we went, the more these floating islands grew in numbers and prominence. Polar birds nested on them by the thousands. 
These were petrels, cape pigeons, or puffins, and their calls were deafening. Mistaking the nautilus for the corpse of a whale, some of them alighted on it and prodded its resonant sheet-iron with pecks of their beaks. During this navigating in the midst of the ice, Captain Nemo often stayed on the platform. He observed these deserted waterways carefully. I saw his calm eyes sometimes perk up. In these polar seas forbidden to man, did he feel right at home, the lord of these unreachable regions? Perhaps. But he didn't say. He stood still, reviving only when his pilot's instincts took over. Then, steering his nautilus with consummate dexterity, he skillfully dodged the masses of ice, some of which measured several miles in length, their heights varying from seventy to eighty meters. Often the horizon seemed completely closed off. Abreast of latitude sixty degrees, every passageway had disappeared. Searching with care, Captain Nemo soon found a narrow opening into which he brazenly slipped, well aware, however, that it would close behind him. Guided by his skillful hands, the Nautilus passed by all these different masses of ice, which are classified by size and shape, with a precision that enraptured Conseil. Icebergs, or mountains, ice fields, or smooth limitless tracts, drift ice, or floating flows, packs, or broken tracts, called patches, when they're circular, and streams, when they form long strips. The temperature was fairly low. Exposed to the outside air, the thermometer marked minus two degrees to minus three degrees centigrade. But we were warmly dressed in furs, for which seals and aquatic bears had paid the price. Evenly heated by all its electric equipment, the Nautilus's interior defied the most intense cold. Moreover, to find a bearable temperature, the ship had only to sink just a few meters beneath the waves. Two months earlier, we would have enjoyed perpetual daylight in this latitude, but night already fell for three or four hours, and later it would cast six months of shadow over these circumpolar regions. On March 15th, we passed beyond the latitude of the South Shetland and South Orkney Islands. The captain told me that many tribes of seals used to inhabit these shores, but English and American whalers, in a frenzy of destruction, slaughtered all the adults, including pregnant females, and where life and activity once existed, those fishermen left behind only silence and death. Going along the 55th meridian, the Nautilus cut the Antarctic Circle on March 16th near 8 o'clock in the morning. Ice completely surrounded us and closed off the horizon. Nevertheless, Captain Nemo went from passageway to passageway, always proceeding south. But where's he going? I asked. Straight ahead, Conseil replied. Ultimately, when he can't go any farther, he'll stop. I wouldn't bet on it, I replied. And in all honesty, I confess that this venturesome excursion was far from displeasing to me. I can't express the intensity of my amazement at the beauties of these new regions. The ice struck superb poses. Here, its general effect suggested an oriental town with countless minarets and mosques. There, 
a city in ruins flung to the ground by convulsions in the earth these views were varied continuously by the sun's oblique rays or were completely swallowed up by gray mists in the middle of blizzards then explosions cave-ins and great iceberg somersaults would occur all around us altering the scenery like the changing landscape in a diorama if the nautilus was submerged during these losses of balance we heard the resulting noises spread under the waters with frightful intensity and the collapse of these masses created daunting eddies down to the ocean's lower strata the nautilus then rolled and pitched like a ship left to the fury of the elements often no longer seeing any way out i thought we were imprisoned for good but captain nemo guided by his instincts discovered new passageways from the tiniest indications he was never wrong when he observed slender threads of bluish water streaking through these ice fields accordingly i was sure that he had already risked his nautilus in the midst of the antarctic seas however during the day of march sixteenth these tracts of ice completely barred our path it wasn't the ice bank as yet just huge ice fields cemented together by the cold this obstacle couldn't stop captain nemo and he launched his ship against the ice fields with hideous violence the nautilus went into these brittle masses like a wedge splitting them with dreadful cracklings it was an old-fashioned battering ram propelled with infinite power hurled aloft ice rubble fell back around us like hail through brute force alone the submersible carved out a channel for itself carried away by its momentum the ship sometimes mounted on top of these tracts of ice and crushed them with its weight or at other times when cooped up between the ice fields it split them with simple pitching movements creating wide punctures violent squalls assaulted us during the daytime thanks to certain heavy mists we couldn't see from one end of the platform to the other the wind shifted abruptly to every point on the compass the snow was piling up in such packed layers it had to be chipped loose with blows from picks even in a temperature of merely minus five degrees centigrade every outside part of the nautilus was covered with ice a ship's rigging would have been unusable because all its tackle would have jammed in the grooves of the pulleys. Only a craft without sails, driven by an electric motor that needed no coal, could face such high latitudes. Under these conditions the barometer generally stayed quite low. It fell as far as 73.5 centimeters. Our compass indications no longer offered any guarantees. The deranged needles would mark contradictory directions as we approached the southern magnetic pole, which doesn't coincide with the south pole proper. In fact, according to the astronomer Hans Steen, this magnetic pole is located fairly close to latitude 70 degrees and longitude 130 degrees, or abiding by the observations of Louis Isidore Duperry, in longitude 135 degrees, and latitude seventy degrees thirty minutes hence we had to transport compasses to different parts of the ship take many readings and strike an average often we could chart our course only by guesswork a less than satisfactory method in the midst of these winding passageways whose landmarks change continuously 
At last, on March 18th, after twenty futile assaults, the Nautilus was decisively held in check. No longer was it an ice stream, patch, or field. It was an endless, immovable barrier formed by ice mountains fused to each other. The Ice Bank, the Canadian told me. For Ned Land, as well as for every navigator before us, I knew that this was the great insurmountable obstacle. When the sun appeared for an instant near noon, Captain Nemo took a reasonably accurate sight that gave our position as longitude 51 degrees 30 minutes and latitude 67 degrees 39 minutes south. This was a position already well along in these Antarctic regions. As for the liquid surface of the sea, there was no longer any semblance of it before our eyes. Before the Nautilus's spur there lay vast broken plains, a tangle of confused chunks with all the helter-skelter unpredictability typical of a river's surface, a short while before its ice break-up. But in this case the proportions were gigantic. Here and there stood sharp peaks, lean spires that rose as high as two hundred feet. Farther off, a succession of steeply cut cliffs sporting a grayish tint, huge mirrors that reflected the sparse rays of a sun half-drowned in mist. Beyond, a stark silence reigned in this desolate natural setting, a silence barely broken by the flapping wings of petrels or puffins. By this point, everything was frozen, even sound. So the Nautilus had to halt its venturesome course among these tracts of ice. Sir, Ned Land told me that day, if your captain goes any farther, yes, he'll be a superman. How so, Ned? Because nobody can clear the ice bank. Your captain's a powerful man, but damnation, he isn't more powerful than nature. If she draws a boundary line, there you stop, like it or not. Correct, Ned Land, but I still want to know what's behind this ice bank. Behold my greatest source of irritation, a wall. Master is right, Conseil said. Walls were invented simply to frustrate scientists. All walls should be banned. Fine, the Canadian put in, but we already know what's behind this ice bank. What? I asked. Ice, ice, and more ice. You may be sure of that, Ned, I answered, but I'm not. That's why I want to see it for myself. Well, Professor, the Canadian replied, you can just drop that idea. You've made it to the ice bank, which is already far enough, but you won't get any farther, neither your Captain Nemo or his Nautilus. And whether he wants to or not, we'll head north again, in other words, to the land of sensible people. I had to agree that Ned Land was right and until ships are built to navigate over tracts of ice, they'll have to stop at the ice bank. Indeed, despite its efforts, despite the powerful methods it used to split this ice, the Nautilus was reduced to immobility. Ordinarily, when someone can't go any farther, he still has the option of returning in his tracks. But here it was just as impossible to turn back as to go forward, because every passageway had closed behind us, and if our submersible remained even slightly stationary, it would be frozen in without delay. 
which is exactly what happened near two o'clock in the afternoon, and fresh ice kept forming over the ship's sides with astonishing speed. I had to admit that Captain Nemo's leadership had proven most injudicious. Just then I was on the platform. Observing the situation for some while, the captain said to me, Well, Professor, what think you? I think we're trapped, Captain. Trapped? What do you mean? I mean we can't go forward, backward or sideways. I think that's the standard definition of trapped, at least in the civilized world. So, Professor Aranax, you think the Nautilus won't be able to float clear? Only with the greatest difficulty, Captain, since the season is already too advanced for you to depend on an ice breakup. Oh, Professor, Captain Nemo replied in an ironic tone, you never change. You see only impediments and obstacles. I promise you not only will the Nautilus float clear, it will go farther still. Farther south? I asked, gaping at the captain. Yes, sir, it will go to the pole. To the pole, I exclaimed, unable to keep back a movement of disbelief. Yes, the captain replied coolly, the Antarctic pole, that unknown spot crossed by every meridian on the globe. As you know, I do whatever I like with my Nautilus. Yes, I did know that. I knew this man was daring to the point of being foolhardy. But to overcome all the obstacles around the South Pole, even more unattainable than the North Pole, which still hadn't been reached by the boldest navigators, wasn't this an absolutely insane undertaking, one that could occur only in the brain of a madman? It then dawned on me to ask Captain Nemo if he had already discovered this pole, which no human being had ever trod underfoot. No, sir, he answered me, but we'll discover it together. Where others have failed, all succeed. Never before has my Nautilus cruised so far into these southernmost seas, but I repeat, it will go farther still. I'd like to believe you, Captain. I went on in a tone of some sarcasm. Oh, I do believe you. Let's forge ahead. There are no obstacles for us. Let's shatter this ice bank. Let's blow it up. And if it still resists, let's put wings on the Nautilus and fly over it. Over it, Professor? Captain Nemo replied serenely. No, not over it, but under it. Under it, I exclaimed. A sudden insight into Captain Nemo's plans had just flashed through my mind. I understood. The marvelous talents of his Nautilus would be put to work once again in this superhuman undertaking. I can see we're starting to understand each other, Professor, Captain Nemo told me with a half-smile. You already glimpsed the potential. Myself, I'd say the success of this attempt. Maneuvers that aren't feasible for an ordinary ship are easy for the Nautilus. If a continent emerges at the pole, we'll stop at that continent. But on the other hand, if open sea washes the pole, we'll go to that very place. Right, I said, carried away by the captain's logic. Even though the surface of the sea has solidified into ice, its lower strata are still open, thanks to that divine justice that puts the maximum density of salt water one degree above its freezing point. And if I'm not mistaken, the submerged part of this ice bank is in a four-to-one ratio to its emerging part. Very nearly, Professor. 
for each foot of iceberg above the sea there are three more below now then since these ice mountains don't exceed a height of a hundred meters they sink only to a depth of three hundred meters and what are three hundred meters to the nautilus a mere nothing sir we could even go to greater depths and find that temperature layer common to all ocean water and there we'd brave with impunity the minus thirty degree or minus forty degree cold on the surface true sir very true i replied with growing excitement our sole difficulty captain nemo went on lies in our staying submerged for several days without renewing our air supply that's all i answered the nautilus has huge air tanks we'll fill them up and they'll supply all the oxygen we need good thinking professor aronnax the captain replied with a smile but since i don't want to be accused of foolhardiness i'm giving you all my objections in advance you have more just one if a sea exists at the south pole it's possible this sea may be completely frozen over so we couldn't come up to the surface my dear sir have you forgotten that the nautilus is armed with a fearsome spur couldn't it be launched diagonally against those tracts of ice which would break open from the impact ah oh, professor you're full of ideas today. besides captain i added with still greater enthusiasm why wouldn't we find open sea at the south pole just as at the north pole the cold temperature poles and the geographical poles don't coincide in either the northern or southern hemispheres and until proof to the contrary we can assume these two spots on the earth feature either a continent or an ice-free ocean i think as you do professor aronnax captain nemo replied i'll only point out that after raising so many objections against my plan you're now crushing me under arguments in its favor captain nemo was right i was outdoing him in daring it was i who was sweeping him to the pole i was leading the way i was out in front but no you silly fool captain nemo already knew the pros and cons of this question and it amused him to see you flying off into impossible fantasies nevertheless he didn't waste an instant at his signal the chief officer appeared the two men held a quick exchange in their incomprehensible language and either the chief officer had been alerted previously or he found the plan feasible because he showed no surprise but as unemotional as he was he couldn't have been more impeccably emotionless than conseil when i told the fine land our intention of pushing on to the south pole he greeted my announcement with the usual as master wishes and i had to be content with that as for ned land no human shoulders ever executed a higher shrug than the pair belonging to our canadian honestly sir he told me you and your captain nemo i pity you both but we will go to the pole mr land maybe but you won't come back and ned land re-entered his cabin to keep from doing something desperate he said as he left me meanwhile preparations for this daring attempt were getting under way the nautilus's powerful pumps forced air down into the tanks and stored it under high pressure near four o'clock captain nemo informed me that the platform hatches were about to be closed i took a last look at the dense ice bank we were going to conquer 
the weather was fair the skies reasonably clear the cold quite brisk namely minus twelve degrees centigrade but after the wind had lulled this temperature didn't seem too unbearable equipped with picks some ten men climbed on to the nautilus's sides and cracked loose the ice around the ship's lower plating which was soon set free this operation was swiftly executed because the fresh ice was still thin we all re-entered the interior the main ballast tanks were filled with the water that hadn't yet congealed at our line of flotation the nautilus submerged without delay i took a seat in the lounge with conseil through the open window we stared at the lower strata of this southernmost ocean the thermometer rose again the needle on the pressure gauge swerved over its dial about three hundred meters down just as captain nemo had predicted we cruised beneath the undulating surface of the ice bank but the nautilus sank deeper still it reached a depth of eight hundred meters at the surface this water gave a temperature of minus twelve degrees centigrade but now it gave no more than minus ten degrees two degrees had already been gained thanks to its heating equipment the nautilus's temperature needless to say stayed at a much higher degree every maneuver was accomplished with extraordinary precision with all due respect master conseil told me we'll pass it by i fully expect to i replied in a tone of deep conviction now in open water the nautilus took a direct course to the pole without veering from the fifty-second meridian from sixty-seven degrees thirty minutes to ninety degrees twenty-two and a half of latitude were left to cross in other words slightly more than five hundred leagues the nautilus adopted an average speed of twenty-six miles per hour the speed of an express train if it kept up this pace forty hours would do it for reaching the pole for part of the night the novelty of our circumstances kept conseil and me at the lounge window the sea was lit by our beacon's electric rays but the depths were deserted fish didn't linger in these imprisoned waters here they found merely a passageway for going from the antarctic ocean to open sea at the pole our progress was swift you could feel it in the vibrations of the long steel hull. Nearly two o'clock in the morning, I went to snatch a few hours of sleep. Conseil did likewise. I didn't encounter Captain Nemo while going down the gangways. I assumed that he was keeping to the pilot house. The next day, March 19th, at five o'clock in the morning, I was back at my post in the lounge. The electric log indicated that Nautilus had reduced speed. By then it was rising to the surface, but cautiously, while slowly emptying its ballast tanks. My heart was pounding. Would we emerge into the open and find polar air again? No, a jolt told me that the Nautilus had bumped into the underbelly of the ice bank, still quite thick to judge from the hollowness of the accompanying noise. Indeed, we had struck bottom, to use nautical terminology, but in the opposite direction, and at a depth of 3,000 feet. That gave us 4,000 feet of ice overhead, of which 1,000 feet emerged above water. So the ice bank was higher here than we had found it on the outskirts, a circumstance less than encouraging. 
Several times that day the Nautilus repeated the same experiment, and always it bumped against this surface that formed a ceiling above it. At certain moments the ship encountered ice at a depth of 900 meters, denoting a thickness of 1,200 meters, of which 300 meters rose above the level of the ocean. This height had tripled since the moment the Nautilus had dived beneath the waves. I meticulously noted these different depths, obtaining the underwater profile of this upside-down mountain chain that stretched beneath the sea. By evening there was still no improvement in our situation. The ice stayed between 400 and 500 meters deep. It was obviously shrinking, but what a barrier still lay between us and the surface of the ocean. By then it was eight o'clock. The air inside the Nautilus should have been renewed four hours earlier, following daily practice on board. But I didn't suffer very much, although Captain Nemo hadn't yet made demands on the supplementary oxygen in his air tanks. That night my sleep was fitful. Hope and fear besieged me by turns. I got up several times. The Nautilus continued groping. Near three o'clock in the morning, I observed that we encountered the ice bank's underbelly at a depth of only 50 meters. So, only a 150 feet separated us from the surface of the water. Little by little, the ice bank was turning into an ice field again. The mountains were changing back into plains. My eyes didn't leave the pressure gauge. We kept rising on a diagonal going along this shiny surface that sparkled beneath our electric rays. Above and below, the ice bank was subsiding in long gradients. Mile after mile, it was growing thinner. Finally, at six o'clock in the morning on that memorable day of March 19th, the lounge door opened. Captain Nemo appeared. Open sea, he told me. End of Section 2, Chapter 13 Recorded by Sean McGahey Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set, with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter code CONFIDENCE at checkout. That's harrys.com, code CONFIDENCE. Enjoy! New message. What up, what up? It's Heather's cousin. You dated her in college, or maybe you were just in the same class. Anyway, I heard you bought a boat, my man. Let's hit the water. Oh, and Heather told me you always liked, uh, snacks and stuff, so I could totally bring some chips. When you get a boat, you also get new friends. Make sure Progressive's one of them, and get coverage today for as little as $100 a year. Hey, all. 
Also, I'm a little short on cash, so can you cover the chips? Thanks. I can see why Heather liked you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.